This is section 16 of the complete works of George Saville, The Anatomy of an Equivalent. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The complete works of George Saville, first Marquess of Halifax. The Anatomy of an Equivalent. Read by John Greenman. 1. The world hath of late years never been without some extraordinary word to furnish the coffee-houses and fill the pamphlets. Sometimes it is a new one invented, and sometimes an old one revived. They are usually fitted to some present purpose, with intentions as differing as the various designs several parties may have, either to delude the people or to expose their adversaries. They are not of long continuance, but after they have passed a little while, and that they are grown nauseous by being so often repeated, they give place to something that is newer. Thus, after Whig, Tory, and Trimmer have had their time, now they are dead and forgotten, being supplanted by the word equivalent, which reigneth in their stead. The birth of it is in short this. After many repeated essays to dispose men to the repeal of oaths and tests made for the security of the Protestant religion, the general aversion to comply in it was found to be so great that it was thought advisable to try another manner of attempting it, and to see whether by putting the same thing into another mould, and softening an harsh proposition by a plausible term, they might not have better success. To this end, instead of an absolute quitting of these laws, without any condition, which was the first proposal, now it is put into general language, and runneth thus. If you will take away the oaths and tests, you shall have as good a thing for them. This put into the fashionable word is now called an equivalent. 2. So much to the word itself. I will now endeavor, in short, to examine and explain, in order to the having it fully understood. First, what is the nature of a true equivalent? And, in the next place, what things are not to be admitted under that denomination? I shall treat these as general propositions, and though I cannot undertake how far they may be convincing, I may safely do it that they are impartial, of which there can be no greater evidence than that I make neither inference nor application, but leave that part entirely to the reader, according as his own thoughts shall direct and dispose him. 3. I will first take notice that this word, by the application which hath been made of it in some modern instances, lieth under some disadvantage, not to say some scandal. It is transmitted hither from France, and if, as in most other things that we take from them, we carry them beyond the pattern, it should prove so in this we should get into a more partial style than the principles of English justice will, I hope, ever allow us to be guilty of. The French king's equivalents in Flanders are very extraordinary bargains. His manner of proposing and obtaining them is very differing from the usual methods of equal dealing. In a later instance, Denmark, by the encouragement as well as by the example of France, 
hath proposed things to the duke of holstein which are called equivalents but that they are so the world is not yet sufficiently convinced and probably the parties concerned do not think them to be so and consequently do not appear to be at all disposed to accept them princes enjoin and prescribe such things when they have strength and power to supply the want of arguments and according to practice in these cases the weaker are never thought to have an ill bargain if they have anything left them so that the first qualification of an equivalent must be that the appraisers be indifferent else it is only a sound there can be nothing real in it for when the same party that proposeth a bargain claimeth a right to set the value or which is worse hath power too to make it good the other may be forced to submit to the conditions but he can by no means ever be persuaded to treat upon them four the next thing to be considered is that to make an equivalent in reality an equal thing in the proposer it must be a better thing than that which is required by him just as good is subject to the hazard of not being quite so good it is not easy to have such an even hand as to make the value exactly equal besides according to the maxim in law melior condicio possidentis the offer is not fair except the thing offered is better in value than the thing demanded there must be allowance for removing what is fixed and there must be something that may be a justification for changing the value of things very often dependeth more upon other circumstances than upon what is merely intrinsic to them therefore the calculation must be made upon that foot perhaps in most cases and particularly the want which one of the parties may have of the thing he requireth make it more valuable to him than it is in itself if the party proposing doth not want the thing he would have in exchange his requiring it is impertinent if he doth his want of it must go into the appraisement and by consequence every proposer of an equivalent must offer a better thing or else he must not take it unkindly to be refused except the other party hath an equal want of the same thing which is very improbable since naturally he that wanteth most will speak first five another thing necessary to the making a fair bargain is that let the parties who treat be never so unequal in themselves yet as to the particular thing proposed there must be an exact equality as far as it relateth to the full liberty of taking or refusing concurring or objecting without any consequence of revenge or so much as dissatisfaction for it is impossible to treat where it is an affront to differ in that case there is no mean between the two extremes either an open quarrel or an entire submission the way of bargaining must be equal else the bargain itself cannot be so for example the proposer is not only to use equal terms as to the matter but fair ones in the manner too there must be no intimations of anger in the case of refusal much less any open threatening such a style is so ill-suited to the usual way of treating that it looketh more like a breach of the peace than the making a bargain it would be yet more improper and less agreeing with the nature of an equivalent 
if whilst two men are chaffering about the price one of them should actually take the thing in question at his own rate and afterwards desire to have his possession confirmed by a formal agreement such a proceeding would not only destroy that particular contract but make it impossible to have any other with the party that could be guilty of such a practice six violence proceeding destroyeth all contract six violence proceeding destroyeth all contract and even though the party that offer it should have a right to the thing he so taketh yet it is to be obtained by legal means else it may be forfeited by his irregularity in the pursuit of it the law is such an enemy to violence and so little to be reconciled to it that in the case of a rape the punishment is not taken off though the party injured afterwards consenteth the justice of the law hath its eye upon the first act and the maxim of volenti non fit injuria doth not in this case help the offender it being a plea subsequent to the crime which maketh it to be rejected as a thing wrong dated and out of time in taking away goods or money it is the same thing the party robbed by giving them afterwards to the taker doth not exempt him from the punishment of the violence quite contrary the man from whom they were taken is punishable if he doth not prosecute if the case should be that a man thus taking away a thing without price claimeth a right to take it then whether it is well or ill-founded is not the question but sure the party from whom it is so taken whilst he is treating to sell or exchange it can never make a bargain with so arbitrary a chapman there being no room left after that to talk of the value seven to make an equal bargain there must be a liberty of differing not only in everything that is really essential but in everything that is thought so by either party and most especially by him who is in possession of the thing demanded his opinion must be a rule to him and even his mistake in the value though it may not convince the man he hath to deal with yet he will be justified for not accepting what is offered till that mistake is fairly rectified and overruled when a security is desired to be changed that side which desireth it must not pretend to impose upon the other so as to dictate to them and tell them without debate that they are safe in what is proposed since of that the counsel on the other side must certainly be the most competent judges the hand it cometh from is a great circumstance either to invite or discourage in all matters of contract the qualifications of the party offering must suit with the proposition itself else let it be never so fair there is ground for suspicion eight when men are of a temper that they think they have wronged on them if they have not always the better side of a bargain if they happen to be such as by experience have been found to have an ill memory for their word if the character they bear doth not recommend their justice wherever their interest is concerned in these cases thinking men will avoid dealing not only to prevent surprise but to cut off the occasions of difficulty or dispute it is yet more discouraging when they are either a 
precedent practice or standing maxims of gross partiality in assuming a privilege of exemption from the usual methods of equal dealing to illustrate this by an instance suppose that in any case the church of rome should have an interest to promote a bargain let her way of dealing be a little examined which will direct those with whom she treateth how far they are to rely upon what she proposeth to them we may begin with the quality in the world the least consisting with equal dealing viz an incurable partiality to herself which that it may arrive to its full perfection is crowned with infallibility at the first setting out she maketh herself uncapable of dealing upon terms of equality by the power she claimeth of binding and loosing which hath been so often applied to treaties as well as to sins if the definition of justice is to deal equally she cannot be guilty of it without betraying her prerogative and according to her principles she giveth up the superiority derived to her by apostolical succession if she degradeth herself so as to be judged by the rules of common right especially if the bargain should be with heretics who in her opinion have forfeited the claim they might otherwise have had to it nine besides her taste hath been so spoiled by unreasonable bargains that she can never bring down her palate to anything that is fair or equal she hath not only judged it an equivalent but a great bargain for the other side to give them absolutions and indulgence for the real payment of great sums for which she hath drawn bills to have them repaid with interest in purgatory this spiritual bank hath carried on such a trade upon these advantageous terms that it can never submit to the small profits an ordinary bargain would produce the several popes have in exchange for the peter pence and all their other rents and fines out of england sent sanctified roses relics and other such wonder-working trifles and by virtue of their character of holy fathers have used princes like children by sending them such rattles to play with which they made them buy at extravagant rates besides which they were to be thankful too into the bargain a chip of the cross a piece of st lawrence's gridiron a hair of st peter have been thought equivalents for much more substantial things the popes being masters of the jewel house have set the rates upon them and they have passed though the whole shop should not take up the value of a bodkin in lombard street upon the credit of them they are unconscionable purchasers for they get all the money from the living by praying for them when they are dead and it is observable that the northern part of christendom which best understandeth trade were the first that refused to make any more bargains with them so that it looketh as if the chief quarrel to the heretics was not as they were ill christians but as they were unkind merchants in so discourteously rejecting the commodities of the growth of rome to conclude this head there is no bartering with infallibility it being so much above equality that it cannot bear the indignity of a true equivalent ten in all bargains 
there is a necessity of looking back and reflecting how far a present proposal is reconcilable with a former practice for example if at any time a thing is offered quite differing from the arguments used by the proposer and inconsistent with the maxims held out by him at other times or in a public case if the same men who promote and press a thing with the utmost violence do in a little time after with as much violence press the contrary and profess a detestation of the very thing for which they had before employed all their interest and authority or if in the case of a law already made there should be a privilege claimed to exempt those from the obligation of observing it who yet should afterwards desire and press to have a new law made in exchange for the old one by which they would not be bound and that they should propose a security by a thing of the very same nature as that which they did not allow to be any before these incoherences must naturally have the effect of raising suspicion or rather they are a certain proof that in such circumstances it is irrational for men to expect an effectual equivalent eleven if whatsoever is more than ordinary is suspicious everything that is unnatural is more so it is not only unnecessary but unnatural too to persuade with violence what is folly to refuse to push men with eagerness into a good bargain for themselves is a style very much unsuitable to the nature of the thing but it goeth further and is yet more absurd to grow angry with men for not receiving a proposal that is for their advantage men ought to be content with the generosity of offering good bargains and should give their compassion to those who do not understand them but by carrying their good nature so far as to be choleric in such a case they would follow the example of the church of rome where the definition of charity is very extraordinary in her language the writ de horetico comburendo is a love-letter and burning men for differing with them in opinion howsoever miscalled cruelty is as they understand it the perfection of flaming charity when anger in these cases lasteth long it is most probable that it is for our own sakes good nature for others is one of those diseases that is cured by time and especially where it is offered and rejected but for ourselves it never faileth and cannot be extinguished but with our life it is fair if men can believe that their friends love them next to themselves to love them better is too much the expression is so unnatural that it is cloying and men must have no sense who in this case have no suspicion twelve another circumstance necessary to a fair bargain is that there must be openness or freedom allowed as the effect of that equality which is the foundation of contracting there must be full liberty of objecting and making doubts and scruples if they are such as can be answered the party convinced is so much the more confirmed and encouraged to deal instead of being hindered by them but if instead of an answer to satisfy there is nothing but anger for a reply it is impossible not to conclude that there is never a good one to give so that the objection remaining without being fully confuted there is an absolute bar put 
to any further treaty there can be no dealing where one side assumeth a privilege to impose so as to make an offer and not bear the examination of it this is giving judgment not making a bargain where it is called unmannerly to object or criminal to refuse the surest way is for men to stay where they are rather than treat upon such disadvantage if it should happen to be in any country where the governing power should allow men liberty of conscience in the choice of their religion it would be strange to deny them liberty of speech in making a bargain such a contradiction would be so discouraging that they must be unreasonably sanguine who in that case can entertain the hopes of a fair equivalent thirteen an equal bargain must not be a mystery nor a secret the purchaser or proposer is to tell directly and plainly what it is he intendeth to give in exchange for that which he requireth it must be viewed and considered by the other party that he may judge of the value for without knowing what it is he cannot determine whether he shall take or leave it an assertion in general that it shall be as good or a better thing is not in this a sufficient excuse for the mistake of dealing upon such uncertain terms in all things that are dark and not enough explained suspicion naturally followeth a secret generally implieth a defect or a deceit and if a false light is an objection no light at all is yet a greater to pretend to give a better thing and to refuse to show it is very near saying it is not so good a one at least so it will be taken in common construction a mystery is yet a more discouraging thing to a protestant especially if the proposition should come from a papist it being one of his great objections to that church that there are so many of them invisible and impossible which are so violently thrust upon their understandings that they are overlaid with them they think that rational creatures are to be convinced only by reason and that reason must be visible and freely exposed else they will think themselves used with contempt instead of equality and will never allow such a suspected secrecy to be a fit preface to a real equivalent fourteen in matters of contract not only the present value but the contingencies and consequences as far as they can be fairly supposed are to be considered for example if there should be a possibility that one of the parties may be ruined by accepting and the other only disappointed by his refusing the consequences are so extremely unequal that it is not imaginable a man should take that for an equivalent which hath such a fatal possibility at the heels of it if it should happen in a public case that such a proposal should come from the minor part of an assembly or nation to the greater it is very just that the hazard of such a possibility should more or less likely fall upon the lesser part rather than upon the greater for whose sake and advantage things are and must be calculated in all public constitutions suppose in any mixed government the chief magistrate should propose upon a condition in the senate diet or other supreme assembly either to enact or abrogate one or more laws 
by which a possibility might be let in of destroying their religion and property which in other language signifieth no less than soul and body where could be the equivalent in the case not only for the real loss but even for the fear of losing them men can fall no lower than to lose all and if losing all destroyeth them the venturing all must fright them in an instance when men are secure that how far soever they may be overrun by violence yet they can never be undone by law except they give their assistance to make it possible though it should neither be likely nor intended still the consequence which may happen is too big for any present thing to make amends for it while the word possible remaineth it must forbid the bargain wherever it falleth out therefore that in an example of a public nature the changing enacting or repealing a law may naturally tend to the misplacing the legislative power in the hands of those who have a separate interest from the body of a people there can be no treating till it is demonstrably made out that such a consequence shall be absolutely impossible for if that shall be denied by those who make the proposal if it is because they cannot do it the motion at first was very unfair if they can and will not it would be yet less reasonable to expect that such partial dealers would ever give an equivalent fit to be accepted fifteen it is necessary in all dealing to be assured in the first place that the party proposing is in a condition to make good his offer that he is neither under any former obligations or pretended claims which may render him uncapable of performing it else he is so far in the condition of a minor that whatever he disposeth by sale or exchange may be afterwards resumed and the contract becometh void being originally defective for want of a sufficient legal power in him that made it in the case of a strict settlement where the party is only tenant for life there is no possibility of treating with one under such fetters no purchase or exchange of lands or anything else can be good where there is such an incapacity of making out a title the interest vested in him being so limited that he can do little more than pronounce the words of a contract he can by no means perform the effect of it in more public instances the impossibility is yet more express as suppose in any kingdom where the people have so much liberty left them as that they may make contracts with the crown there should be some peculiar rights claimed to be so fixed to the royal function that no king for the time being could have power to part with them being so fundamentally tied to the office that they can never be separated such rights can upon no occasion be received in exchange for anything the crown may desire from the people that can never be taken in payment which cannot lawfully be given so that if they should part with that which is required upon those terms it must be a gift it cannot be a bargain there is not in the whole dictionary a more untractable word than inherent and less to be reconciled to the word equivalent 
the party that will contract in spite of such a claim is content to take what is impossible to grant and if he complaineth of his disappointment he neither can have remedy nor deserveth it if a right so claimed happeneth to be of so comprehensive a nature as that by a clear inference it may extend to everything else as well as to the particular matter in question as often as the supreme magistrate shall be so disposed there can in that case be no treating with a prerogative that swalloweth all the right the people can pretend to and if they have no right to any thing of which they are possessed it is a jest and not a bargain to observe any formality in parting with it a claim may be so stated that by the power and advantage of interpreting it shall have such a murthering eye that if it looketh upon a law like a basilisk it shall strike it dead where is the possibility of treating where such a right is assumed nay let it be supposed that such a claim is not well founded in law and that upon a predisquisition it could not be made out yet even in this case none that are well advised will conclude a bargain till it is fully stated and cleared or indeed so much as engage in a treaty till by way of preliminary all possibility shall be removed of any trouble or dispute sixteen there is a collateral circumstance in making a contract which yet deserveth to be considered as much as anything that belongeth to it and that is the character and figure of the parties contracting if they treat only by themselves and if by others the qualification of the instruments they employ the proposer especially must not be so low as to want credit nor so raised as to carry him above the reach of ordinary dealing in the first there is scandal in the other danger there is no rule without some exception but generally speaking the means should be suited to the end and since all men who treat pretend an equal bargain it is desirable that there may be equality in the persons as well as in the thing the manner of doing things has such an influence upon the matter that men may guess at the end by the instruments that are used to obtain it who are a very good direction how far to rely upon or suspect the sincerity of that which is proposed an absurdity in the way of carrying on a treaty in any one circumstance if it is very gross is enough to persuade a thinking man to break off and take warning from such an ill appearance some things are so glaring that it is impossible not to see and consequently not to suspect them as suppose in a private case there should be a treaty of marriage between two honorable families and the proposing side should think fit to send a woman that had been carted to persuade the young lady to an approbation and consent the unfitness of the messenger must naturally dispose the other party to distrust the message and to resist the temptation of the best match that could be offered when conveyed by that hand and ushered in by such a discouraging preliminary in a public instance the suspicion arising from unfit mediators still groweth more reasonable in proportion as the consequence is much greater of being deceived if a jew should be employed to solicit all sorts of christians to unite and agree the contrariety of his profession would not allow men 
to stay till they heard his arguments they would conclude from his religion that either the man himself was mad or that he thought those to be so whom he had the impudence to endeavor to persuade or suppose an adamite should be very solicitous and active in all places and with all sorts of persons to settle the church of england in particular and a fair liberty of conscience for all dissenters though nothing in the world has more to be said for it than naked truth yet if such a man should run up and down without clothes let his arguments be never so good or his commission never so authentic his figure would be such a contradiction to his business that how serious soever that might be in itself his interposition would make a jest of it though it should not go so far as this yet if men have contrarieties in their way of living not to be reconciled as if they should pretend infinite zeal for liberty and at the same time be in great favor and employed by those who will not endure it if they are affected singular and conform to the generality of the world in no one thing but in playing the knave if demonstration is a familiar word with them most especially where the thing is impossible if they quote authority to supply their want of sense and justify the value of their arguments not by reason but by their being paid for them in which by the way those who pay them have probably a very melancholy equivalent if they brandish a prince's word like a sword in a crowd to make way for their own impertinence and in dispute as criminals formerly fled to the statue of the prince for sanctuary if they should now when baffled creep under the protection of a king's name where out of respect they are no farther to be pursued in these cases though the proposition should be really good they will be corrupted by passing through such conduits and it would be a sufficient mistake to enter into a treaty but it would be little less than madness from such hands to expect an equivalent seventeen having touched upon these particulars as necessary in order to the stating the nature of an equal bargain and the circumstances belonging to it let it now be examined in two or three instances what things are not to be admitted by way of contract to pass under the name of an equivalent first though it will be allowed that in the general corruption of mankind which will not admit justice alone to be sufficient tie to make a good contract that a punishment added for the breach of it is a fitting or rather a necessary circumstance yet it does not follow that in all cases a great penalty upon the party offending is an absolute and an entire security it must be considered in every particular case how far the circumstances may rationally lead a man to rely more or less upon it in a private instance the penalty inflicted upon the breach of contract must be first such a one as the party injured can enforce and secondly such a one as he will enforce when it is in his power if the offending party is in a capacity of hindering the other from bringing the vengeance of the law upon him if he hath strength or privilege sufficient to overrule the letter of the contract in that case a penalty is but a word there is no consequence belonging to it secondly 
the forfeiture or punishment must be such as the man aggrieved will take for example if upon a bargain one of the parties shall stipulate to subject himself in case of his failure to have his ears cut or his nose slit by the other with security given that he shall not be prosecuted for executing this part of the agreement the penalty is no doubt heavy enough to discourage a man from breaking his contract but on the other side it is of such a kind that the other how much soever he may be provoked will not in cold blood care to inflict it such an extravagant clause would seem to be made only for show and sound and no man would think himself safer by a thing which one way or other is sure to prove ineffectual in a public case suppose in a government so constituted that a law may be made in the nature of a bargain it is in itself no more than a dead letter the life is given to it by the execution of what it containeth so that let it in itself be never so perfect it dependeth upon those who are entrusted with seeing it observed if it is in any country where the chief magistrate chooseth the judges and the judges interpret the laws a penalty in any one particular law can have no effect but what is precarious it may have a loud voice to threaten but it has not an hand to give a blow for as long as the governing power is in possession of this prerogative let who will choose the meat if they choose the cooks it is they that will give the taste to it so that it is clear that the rigor of a penalty will not in all cases fix a bargain neither is it universally a true position that the increase of punishment for the breach of a new law is an equivalent for the consent to part with an old one eighteen in most bargains there is a reference to the time to come which is therefore to be considered as well as that which cometh within the compass of the present valuation where the party contracting hath not a full power to dispose what belongeth to him or them in reversion who shall succeed after him in his right he cannot make any part of what is so limited to be the condition of the contract further he cannot enjoin the heir or successor to forbear the exercise of any right that is inherent to him as he is a man neither can he restrain him without his own consent from doing any act which in itself is lawful and liable to no objection for example a father cannot stipulate with any other man that in consideration of such a thing done or to be done his son shall never marry because marriage is an institution established by the laws of god and man and therefore no body can be so restrained by any power from doing such an act when he thinketh fit being warranted by an authority that is not to be controlled nineteen now as there are rights inherent in men's persons in their single capacities there are rights as much fixed to the body politic which is a creature that never dieth for instance there can be no government without a supreme power that power is not always in the same hands it is in different shapes and dresses but still wherever it is lodged it must be unlimited it hath a jurisdiction over everything else but it cannot have it above itself supreme power can no more be limited than infinity can be measured because it ceaseth 
to be the thing. Its very being is dissolved, when any bounds can be put to it. Where this supreme power is mixed or divided, the shape only differeth, the argument is still the same. The present state of Venice cannot restrain those who succeed them in the same power from having an entire and unlimited sovereignty. They may indeed make present laws which shall retrench their present power, if they are so disposed, and those laws, if not repealed by the same authority that enacted them, are to be observed by the succeeding Senate till they think fit to abrogate them, and no longer. For if the supreme power shall still reside in the Senate, perhaps composed of other men, or of other minds, which will be sufficient, the necessary consequence is that one Senate must have as much right to alter such a law as another could have to make it. 20. Suppose the supreme power in any state should make a law to enjoin all subsequent lawmakers to take an oath never to alter it, it would produce these following absurdities. First, all supreme power being instituted to promote the safety and benefit, and to prevent the prejudice and danger which may fall upon those who live under the protection of it, the consequence of such an oath would be that all men who are so trusted shall take God to witness that such a law once made, being judged at the time to be advantageous for the public, though afterwards by the vicissitude of times or the variety of accidents or interests, it should plainly appear to them to be destructive, they will suffer it to have its course, and will never repeal it. Secondly, if there could in any nation be found a set of men who, having a part in the supreme legislative power, should as much as in them lieth betray their country by such a criminal engagement, so directly opposite to the nature of their power, and to the trust reposed in them, if these men have their power only for life, when they are dead such an oath can operate no farther, and though that would be too long a lease for the life of such a monster as an oath so composed, yet it must then certainly give up the ghost. It could bind none but the first makers of it. Another generation would never be tied up by it. Thirdly, in those countries where the supreme assemblies are not constant standing courts, but called together upon occasions, and composed of such as the people choose for that time only, with a trust and character that remaineth no longer with them than till that assembly is regularly dissolved, such an oath taken by the members of a senate, diet, or other assembly so chosen, can have very little effect because at the next meeting there may be quite another set of men who will be under no obligation of that kind. The eternity intended to that law by those that made it will be cut off by new men who shall succeed them in their power, if they have a differing taste or another interest. 21. To put it yet farther, suppose a clause in such a law that it shall be criminal in the last degree for any man chosen in a subsequent assembly to propose the repealing of it. And since nothing can be enacted which is not first proposed, by this means it seemeth as if a law might be created which should never die. But let this be examined. First, 
such a clause would be so destructive to the being of such a constitution as that it would be as reasonable to say that a king had a right to give or sell his kingdom to a foreign prince as that any number of men who are entrusted with the supreme power or any part of it should have a right to impose such shackles upon the liberty of those who are to succeed them in the same trust the ground of that trust is that every man who is chosen into such an assembly is to do all that in him lieth for the good of those who chose him the english of such a clause would be that he is not to do his best for those that chose him because though he should be convinced that it might be very fatal to continue that law and therefore very necessary to repeal it yet he must not repeal it because it is made a crime and attended with a penalty but secondly to show the emptiness as well as injustice of such a clause it is clear that although such an invasion of right should be imposed it will never be obeyed there will only be deformity in the monster it will neither sting nor bite such lawgivers would only have the honor of attempting a contradiction which can never have any success for as such a law in itself would be a madness so the penalty would be a jest which may be thus made out twenty two a law that carrieth in itself reason enough to support it is so far from wanting the protection of such a clause or from needing to take such an extraordinary receipt for long life that the admitting it must certainly be the likeliest and the shortest way to destroy it such a clause in a law must imply an opinion that the greatest part of mankind is against it since it is impossible such an exorbitance should be done for its own sake the end of it must be to force men by a penalty to that which they could not be persuaded to whilst their reason is left at liberty this position being granted which i think can hardly be denied put the case that a law should be made with this imaginary clause of immortality after which another assembly is chosen and if the majority of the electors shall be against this law the greater part of the elected must be so too if the choice is fair and regular which must be presumed since the supposition of the contrary is not to come within this argument when these men shall meet the majority will be visible beforehand of those who are against such a law so that there will be no hazard to any single man in proposing the repeal of it when he cannot be punished but by the majority and he hath such a kind of assurance as cometh near a demonstration that the greater number will be of his mind and consequently that for their own sakes they will secure him from any danger for these reasons wherever in order to the making a bargain a proposition is advanced to make a new law which is to tie up those who neither can nor will be bound by it it may be a good jest but it will never be a good equivalent twenty three in the last case let it be examined how far a promise ought to be taken for a security in a bargain there is such a variety of methods for the security of those that deal according to their dispositions and interests some are binding others inducing circumstances and are to be so distinguished first ready payment is without exception so of that there can be no dispute 
in default of that the good opinion men may have of one another is a great ingredient to supply the want of immediate performances where the trust is grounded upon inclination only the generosity is not always returned but where it springeth from a long experience it is a better foundation and yet that is not always secure in ordinary dealing one promise may be an equivalent to another but it is not so for a thing actually granted or conveyed especially if the thing required in exchange for it is of great value either in itself or in its consequences a bare promise as a single security in such a case is not an equal proposal if it is offered by way of addition it generally giveth cause to doubt the title is crazy where so slender a thing is brought in to be a supplement twenty four the earnest of making good a promise must be such a behavior proceeding as may encourage the party to whom it is made to depend upon it where instead of that there hath been want of kindness and which is worse than an invasion of right a promise hath no persuading force and till the objection to such a proceeding is forgotten which can only be the work of time and the skin is a little grown over the tender part the wound must not be touched there must be some intermission at least to abate the smart of unkind usage or else a promise in the eye of the party injured is so far from strengthening a security that it raiseth more doubts and giveth more justifiable cause to suspect it a word is not like a bone that being broken and well set again is said to be sometimes stronger in that very part it is far from being so in a word given and not made good every single act either weakeneth or improveth our credit with other men and as an habit of being just to our word will confirm so an habit of too freely dispensing with it must necessarily destroy it a promise hath its effect to persuade a man to lay some weight upon it where the promiser hath not only the power but may reasonably be supposed to have the will of performing it and further that there be no visible interest of the party promising to excuse himself from it or to evade it all obligations are comparative and where they seem to be opposite or between the greater and the lesser which of them ought to have precedence in all respects every man is apt to be his own judge twenty five if it should fall out that the promiser with full intent at the time to perform might by the interposition of new arguments or differing advice think himself obliged to turn the matter of conscience on the other side and should look upon it to be much a greater fault to keep his word than to break it such a belief will untie the strictest promise that can be made and though the party thus absolving himself should do it without the mixture or temptation of private interest being moved to it merely by his conscience as then informed yet how far soever that might diminish the fault in him it would in no degree lessen the inconveniences to the party who is disappointed by the breach of an engagement upon which he relied twenty six 
a promise is to be understood in the plain and natural sense of the words and to be sure not in his who made it if it was given as part of a bargain that would be like giving a man power to raise the value of his money in the payment of his debt by which though he paid but half or less he might pretend according to the letter to have made good the contract the power of interpreting a promise entirely taketh away the virtue of it a merchant who should once assume that privilege would save himself the trouble of making any more bargains it is still worse if this jurisdiction over a man's promise should be lodged in hands that have power to support such an extraordinary claim and if in other cases forbearing to deal upon those terms is advisable in this it becometh absolutely necessary twenty seven there must in all respects be a full liberty to claim a promise to make it reasonable to take it in any part of payment else it would be like agreeing for a rent and at the same time making it criminal to demand it a superiority of dignity or power in the party promising maketh it a more tender thing for the other party to treat upon that security the first maketh it a nice thing to claim the latter maketh it a difficult thing to obtain in some cases a promise is in the nature of a covenant and then between equal parties the breach of it will bear a suit but where the greatness of the promiser is very much raised above the level of equality there is no forfeiture to be taken it is so far from the party grieved his being able to sue or recover damages that he will not be allowed to explain or expostulate and instead of his being relieved against the breach of promise he will run the hazard of being punished for breach of good manners such a difficulty is putting all or part of the payment in the fire where men must burn their fingers before they can come at it that cannot properly be called good payment which the party to whom it is due may not receive with ease and safety it was a king's brother of england who refused to lend the pope money for this reason that he would never take the bond of one upon whom he could not distrain the argument is still stronger against the validity of a promise when the contract is made between a prince and a subject the very offering a king's word in mortgage is rather a threatening in case of refusal than an inducing argument to accept it it is unfair at first and by that giveth greater cause to be cautious especially if a thing of that value and dignity as a king's word ought to be should be put into the hands of state brokers to strike up a bargain with twenty eight when god almighty maketh covenants with mankind his promise is a sufficient security notwithstanding his superiority and his power because first he can neither err nor do injustice it is the only exception to his omnipotence that by the perfection of his being he is incapacitated to do wrong secondly at the instant of his promise by the extent of his foresight which cannot fail there is no room left for the possibility of anything to intervene which might change his mind lastly he is above the receiving either benefit or inconvenience and therefore can have no interest or temptation to vary from his word when once he hath granted it 
now though princes are god's vice-regents yet their commission not being so large as that these qualifications are devolved to them it is quite another case and since the offering a security implieth it to be examined by the party to whom it is proposed it must not be taken ill that objections are made to it even though the prince himself should be the immediate proposer let a familiar case be put suppose a prince tempted by a passion too strong for him to resist should descend so as to promise marriage to one of his subjects and as men are naturally in great haste upon such occasions should press to take possession before the necessary forms could be complied with would the poor lady's scruples be called criminal for not taking the security of the royal word or would her allegiance be tainted by her resisting the sacred person of her sovereign because he was impatient of delay courtesy in this case might persuade her to accept it if she was so disposed but sure the just exercise of power can never claim it twenty nine there is one case where it is more particularly a duty to use very great caution in accepting the security of a promise and that is when men are authorized and trusted by others to act for them this putteth them under much greater restraints than those who are at liberty to treat for themselves it is lawful though it is not prudent for any man to make an ill bargain for himself but it is neither the one nor the other where the party contracting treateth on behalf of another by whom he is entrusted men who will unwarily accept an ill security if it is for themselves forfeit their own discretion and undergo the penalty but they are not responsible to anybody else they lie under the mortification and the loss of committing the error by which though they may expose their judgment to some censure yet their morality suffers no reproach by it but those who are deputed by others to treat for them upon terms of best advantage though the confidence placed in them should prevent the putting any limits to their power in their commission yet the condition implied if not expressed is that the persons so trusted shall neither make an ill bargain nor accept a slight security the obligation is yet more binding when the trust is of a public nature the aggravation of disappointing a body of men that rely upon them carrieth the fault as high as it can go and perhaps no crime of any kind can outdo such a deliberate breach of trust or would more justly make men forfeit the protection of humane society thirty i will add one thing more upon this head which is that it is not always a true proposition that tis safe to rely upon a promise if at the time of making it it is the interest of the promiser to make it good this though many times it is a good inducement yet it hath these exceptions to it first if the proposer hath at other times gone plainly against his visible interest the argument will turn the other way and his former mistakes are so many warnings to the others not to come within the danger of any more let the inducements to those mistakes be never so great and generous that does not alter the nature they are mistakes still interest is an uncertain thing it goeth and cometh and varieth according to times and circumstances 
as good build upon a quicksand as upon a presumption that interest shall not alter where are the men so distinguished from the rest of mankind that it is impossible for them to mistake their interest who are they that have such an exemption from humane frailty as that it can never happen to them not to see their interest for want of understanding or not to leap over it by excess of zeal above all princes are the most liable to mistake not out of any defect in their nature which might put them under such an unfortunate distinction quite contrary the blood they derive from wise and great ancestors doth rather distinguish them on the better side besides that their great character and office of governing giveth a noble exercise to their reason which can very hardly fail to raise and improve it but there is one circumstance annexed to their glorious calling which in this respect is sufficient to outweigh all those advantages it is that mankind divided in most things else agree in this to conspire in their endeavors to deceive and mislead them which maketh it above the power of humane understanding to be so exactly guarded as never to admit a surprise and the highest applause that could ever yet be given to the greatest men that ever wore a crown is that they were no oftener deceived thus i have ventured to lay down my thoughts of the nature of a bargain and the due circumstances belonging to an equivalent and will now conclude with this short word Quote, where distrusting may be the cause of provoking anger and trusting may be the cause of bringing ruin the choice is too easy to need the being explained Unquote. end of the anatomy of an equivalent read by john greenman